Get in there. How are you doing? It's uh, Thursday's Richie Allen Show. Of course it is. It's live from Salford, the 23rd of uh, November, 2023. I hope I find you well. Thank you for joining me. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, Dr. Ahmad Malik is a consultant orthopedic surgeon. He's a very good guy. He's also got a very, very good podcast. So he does. Doc Malik, look it up. I'll give you the link to it later if you haven't heard of it. He's a good guy. We've been speaking to him recently because he's been raising funds to take legal action against a hospital that suspended him, that fired him effectively because of comments he made about lockdowns and vaccines. He's been suspended by another hospital, this time because of an interview he gave, or an interview he did on the crisis in Gaza. We'll talk to Dr. Ahmad Malik about that in around about a half an hour's time. You do not want to miss that. Later on in the programme, I welcome back Sean Walsh. Sean is a lovely guy. He's a philosopher. He's a teacher, a conservative commentator and writer. He's written for many publications. He was on back in the spring talking about AI. We're going to have a little rundown through uh, some of the bigger news stories of the week. Sean and I in hour two. You can comment on the programme. Go to my website. Go to my app and comment away. Comment and comment and comment again. I love your comments. I lie awake at night dreaming about your comments. Funny that, isn't it, when you do a job and it's a very intensive job, or at least it is to me anyway, and sometimes you dream about it. Have you done that before? Have you dreamt about your work? You, you shouldn't, but um, when I say you shouldn't, maybe it's not healthy, but I do dream about it sometimes. I had a dream recently where I was, um, <laughs> I had two crazy dreams. One, I was reading comments. I was in the supermarket and I was reading out comments from people who listen to the radio programme. And people were looking at me strangely. That's a genuine dream. And this was a dream I had last night. It must be down to the COVID inquiry. But I dreamt that I was following around Jonathan Van Tam. And I was following, I was doing the doorstepping thing. You know, when journalists doorstep people. And I was asking him about some of the, well, you know, some of the things that he did back in 2020. Some of the very wrong things that he did, not just him, but, but others. And uh, that was a dream, and it just went nowhere. And in the end, anyway, I woke up, I suppose. But I didn't get any answers from Jonathan Van Tam in my dream. Anyway, listen, there's a developing story in Ireland. You probably know this by now. RTE, that's a radio telefichere and the Irish National Broadcaster, is reporting that Gardaí and emergency services were called to a very serious incident on Parnell Square East in Dublin city centre just around about two o'clock or just before then this afternoon. It looks like a bloke may have attacked a number of people including children. One child has been, uh, they're saying, has very serious injuries. It's a knife attack anyway. Medical staff rushed from the nearby Rotunda Hospital to help out. Uh, Parnell Square East was busy of course at the time. It's a busy transit route for, for buses, for shoppers and for the Lewis which is like a tram. It is also the location of the Gwelskol Koloshta Wirra, right? Or Mwira. That's um, an Irish speaking school. So three young kids and two adults, a man and a woman were taken to hospital following this incident. The guards say one young girl has very, very bad injuries. The other two children less seriously injured, thank God for that. The woman uh, 
is being treated for serious injuries and the man sustained less serious injuries. No idea what's going on there, but unsurprisingly, because of the times we live in, uh, people are making leaping to all sorts of conclusions or jumping to all manner of conclusions about this when they should probably wait a little bit. Anyway, that's just my opinion. So Geert Wilders then, eh? Geert, he's been in politics for years, hasn't he? This uh, guy who they describe as an anti-Islam populist leader, Geert Wilders, or Geert Wilders. Let's call him Geert Wilders, right? So he's won a, what the BBC says is a dramatic victory in the Dutch general election with almost every vote counted, almost, right? So he's been in Parliament for a quarter of a century. His PVV party, or Freedom Party, will win, will win should win 37 seats, which would be well ahead of a left-wing alliance, right? He said the PVV can no longer be ignored. We will govern, he said. Uh, the BBC reports that the win has shaken Dutch politics and it will send a shock wave across Europe too because he wants a referendum on membership of the European Union, doesn't he? Allegedly. He probably does. So um, he will need other parties to join him in a coalition though. He needs 76 seats in the 150-seat parliament. So we're, we've seen a bit of this lately with the new president in, in, in Argentina. In Argentina? In Argentina? In Argentina! Richie, come on. It's only Thursday. Um, yeah, with their new president too, right? Another populist, a chainsaw-wielding guy, right? And I have a theory, and I'm sure you, you, you'll have some sympathy for the theory. It's to drive civil unrest, this, isn't it, ultimately? We saw this in the United States of America. Elections can be manipulated in many different ways. You don't necessarily have to interfere with the voting machines. There are many ways you can interfere with um, the vote, turnout and, and, and everything else. This is to drive civil unrest because God love those people who voted for Geert Wilders because mass immigration is causing problems in their community and all the rest of it. Geert Wilders is not going to deliver on any of the promises he made. He just is not. The same as Donald Trump never delivered on any of the promises he made. The same as none of them do. It's, 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 it's about driving civil unrest, in my opinion. Divide and conquer. But, but, but worse than that, to drive people out onto the streets. And I'm sure you'll have an opinion on this. If you're in Holland, and I know some of our listeners are, you may feel like opining. As I said, use the website, use the app to let me know how you feel about it. But that's what populism is all about. Really, right? It's uh, snake oil salesmen like Wilders making all sorts of promises. These guys are amazing when they're in opposition. But once he gets, once he ascends to the seat of power, and of course he won't because he'll have to form a coalition government, his supporters will be devastated at just how little this guy delivers when, when, when you look at his manifesto and the things he promised. It's always been like that and it never will change. Shane McGowan is out of hospital, thank God for that. Thank God for that. He was treated in a hospital in Dublin, encephalitis he had, and he had other complications, and it looked touch and go for a bit, but uh, the great singer-songwriter, maybe not great singer, that's a stretch, isn't it? Uh, but he's out of um, the woods and he's on his way home, which is fantastic. Uh, this was announced this afternoon, a Gaza ceasefire and hostage release will commence tomorrow morning. Uh, 13 women and children will be released later in the day tomorrow. And this is according to Qatar's foreign ministry spokesman. So Qatar has brokered a deal between Israel and Hamas. 
So the pause will begin at 7am on Friday, says says Majed Al-Ansari. Majed is the spokesman for all of this. The first batch of civilian hostages will be handed over approximately 4pm PM on the same day. I need to put my teeth in. So the ceasefire had been anticipated, hadn't it, after a deal was reached, though details were still being sorted out over the past 24 hours. Now, meanwhile, speaking of Israel and Gaza, Talk Radio says it has an exclusive. It says that some imams in some mosques in this country have been calling for an end to Israel and victory for Hamas. Is that right? So Talk Radio is saying this is an exclusive. It has a reporter called Holly Hudson... It is Holly Hudson who presents the report, and I have nabbed this from Talk Radio's Twitter channel. A sermon at the Redbridge Islamic Centre in Ilford. The speaker prays with his congregation in Arabic to curse the Jews and the children of Israel. Talk TV had the recording translated twice independently. It's voiced by an actor. Oh Allah, curse the Jews and the children of Israel. Oh Allah, Curse the infidels and the polytheists. O oh Allah, break their words, shake their feet, disperse and tear apart their unity, and ruin their houses and destroy their homes. And from London to Liverpool. If the three billion just marched on Israel, it's all over. They spat in the direction of Israel, two billion, it's all over. To Birmingham. The stones, the stones will speak and say, Oh Muslim, behind me there is a Yahudi, come and kill him. Preachers at mosques across Britain have been filmed calling for victory for Hamas. Oh God, heal our hearts regarding the usurping Jews and in every enemy of you and the Muslims. Oh God, limit their numbers, kill them indiscriminately, and do not leave any of them alive. Oh God, our Lord, disperse them. Weaken their strength, shake the ground beneath their feet, and freeze the blood in their veins. Make them captive to the Muslims. Mm, make them captive to the Muslims. I'm not exactly overwhelmed by any of this yet, and I'll explain why in a minute. Here's a little bit more of it. And stoking hatred against Jews and Israel with alarming anti-Semitic rhetoric. Oh, revenger, revenge from the oppressive aggressor occupying Zionists. Oh, Allah, shake the earth beneath them. Oh, Allah. Limit their number, kill them indiscriminately, and do not leave any of them alive. Rhetoric that in some cases is as violent as that of Abu Hamza, the known hate preacher who delivered sermons at Finsbury Park Mosque before it was shut down and he was deported from the UK. In Greenwich, this speaker ended his prayers with calls for Allah to grant victory over the enemy. The Met said while it understands the footage raised concern in Greenwich, no offences had been committed there. Jewish groups, though, say that police aren't doing enough and are calling for prosecutions in some cases, warning that some of these sermons could lead not only to hate crime, but extremism and even terror. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm wide open now to be contradicted here, so please, and I will read out these comments. I didn't hear anything, I didn't hear anything overtly worrisome there. I'm going to tell you why. I would imagine that in the wake of the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan in 2003, 
and everything that happened that happened thereafter, right? I would imagine that when when Gaza was blockaded 15 years ago or whatever it was, I would imagine that when Israel bombed Gaza um, mercilessly, let's be honest, in 2014 and killed over 500 children, I would imagine that you would have found imams in mosques saying these things. Saying what exactly? Uh, praying to God to avenge them and to avenge the children of, of Gaza. Because that's what I heard a lot of there. I didn't hear a lot of incitement to hatred against Jews in the United Kingdom or Jews anywhere else. I heard a lot of anti-Israeli rhetoric. And yes, yes, admittedly, a call to God to avenge and to tear them apart and, and, uh, and, and uh, to obliterate them and all of that. But a call to God. Again, I'm going to say, look, I would imagine that when anything happens at all, I would imagine historically you will get one or two or three or a, or a dozen imams playing to their base effectively. You know, when preaching, when delivering a sermon, basically playing to the gallery. It's what they would be expected to say. Now, you might be Jewish and you might think, well, it's easy for you to say, Richie. And if that's the case, do reach out to me and let me know. But I'm not overly moved by that, to be honest, really. And uh, But like I said, I'm... I'm I'm open to be to have my mind changed. You might want to try and change my mind on that. So Talk Radio is saying this is an exclusive. This is what's happening in mosques. Anyhow, um, and this is interesting. The Telegraph reporting this afternoon, an FA Council, Football Association Council member, has quit over a post comparing Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, to Hitler. And the story reads, a Football Association Council member has quit amid the storm around him after he proclaimed that Adolf Hitler would be proud of Benjamin Netanyahu. He'd already been suspended by the FA, this guy. His name is Wasim Haq. Wasim Haq and the Lawn Tennis Association. He apologised again for the social media post, adding that he was bereft of energy and hope. He wrote a letter to uh, the FA, the chair of the FA, a woman called Debbie Hewitt, and uh, said he was taking full responsibility after being accused of anti-Semitism. And it was with great sadness I inform you of my decision to resign, blah, 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 blah. And we reported on the programme yesterday, um, an actress whose name I can't remember now, was um, fired by Spyglass, which is, <coughs> excuse me, Spyglass is, I've got to take some water, excuse me. It's one of those bloody days, yeah. I've had an allergy and I've got a frog in my throat. Hang on a sec. Don't go anywhere. Handy to have the old water bottle there. Yeah, but an actress was fired for declaring that what's going on in Gaza is genocide. Susan Sarandon has been dropped by her management agency because she attended a pro-Palestine rally. And I'm going to talk about this with Ahmad Malik and I'm also going to talk about this with Sean Walsh later on. What is the line? Should there ever be a line? You know, should a company have any right to terminate an employee because of a comment, extraneous or otherwise, made by the employee on a social media channel? I mean, obviously, if an employee is um, is on social media or, or, or elsewhere and is calling for harm to come to somebody or inciting violence, I suppose the company might have some right to say, well, maybe we don't want such a person working in our building. But um, when it comes to opinions about anything, we, we might get into this a little bit later on. It's just gone quarter past the hour.
I don't know why I laughed at this, but I did. I laughed at it because it's tragic. Tragic comedy. Um, the Telegraph again. Mugging is dying industry because fewer people carry cash. Again, cashless and the implications of it. And central bank digital currencies. Something that has come up quite often on this programme. And no doubt will continue to come up on the programme as things progress. Right, As these agendas progress. But uh, Clifford Abrahams, who is a finance chief with um, virgin money apparently... He said traditional forms of financial crime such as street theft and bank robbery have been replaced with more sophisticated digital methods involving artificial intelligence. He said bank robbery is a dying industry because there's no cash anymore. Even in bank branches, the use of cash is diminished or the old robbing of security vans. People are not travelling around with cash anymore. And he said even people in the street mugging people to steal their wallet, more often than not, people are not carrying cash. The growth area for criminals and fraudsters is cybercrime. Yes, banks don't have much cash. That's interesting. Something which came up years ago on the programme. You know, the, the, the notion of having a run on a bank. You know, where lots of people go to a bank. Obviously, they'd all have to have a, an account with, with the, 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 the bank in question and say, look, I, I'd like to close my account. I'd like all my money in cash, please. Yeah, there'll be a new trend in a few years' time, won't there? Taking somebody's eye or taking somebody's thumb because people will be accessing financial services using retina scans, won't they? Straight out of science fiction films and books and magazines. And here's one that won't surprise you. I'm guessing some of you will have read this today. Wait for it. You know the pandemic treaty? You know the world is about to hand over control of health policy for the world to the World Health Organization. You know this, right? Nothing can stop it. It's happening, like it or not, right? But the World Health Organization has intervened in China and it has asked the Chinese government to reinstate mask wearing, to reinstate social distancing and staying at home when you feel unwell because of a pneumonia outbreak. Have you seen this, right? It's an outbreak of a mystery respiratory illness in China. Global health chiefs have warned. I'm reading from the Mail Online. Cases of undiagnosed pneumonia have been detected at hospitals in Beijing and Liaoning. I hope I pronounced the second one right. I haven't a clue. A province 500 miles northeast of the capital. Something emerging in China, dearest listener. In November, should we be afraid? Should we be very afraid? I don't know. I suppose we should be afraid if the World Health Organization tells China to close its border. Then we should probably shit ourselves because that might give us an indication that they might try the whole lockdown bollocks again. I don't think they will, but you never know. Health facilities are overwhelmed with sick, sick children, apparently. And classes are on the verge of being suspended. And this is according to local Chinese media, right? Which is, of course, controlled by the government. Reinstate masks, social distancing, stay at home. Closing schools because of a mystery respiratory infection. In China, of all places. Is it deja vu all over again? Or is this just a little rattling of our cages? What do you reckon? Are our cages being rattled? What do you reckon? 20... Uh, it's not 20, it's 19 minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show. Rich says, congratulations on beating that little sausage, Owen Jones. Fair play. Thank you, Rich. Yes, the Richie Allen Show is uh, regularly these days in the top 100 podcasts for the United Kingdom. Imagine that. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? When you think that the Richie Allen Show is not advertised anywhere. It isn't in a magazine. It's not on a billboard. 
it's not on the side of a bus like that idiot James O'Brien. God, no, it isn't. And yet tens of thousands of people a day download the programme and even more people during the day listen to it on the app. It's a great thing and it's down to you. So give yourself a pat on the back. I'm not patronising you because you supported. If you didn't, I wouldn't be here. I'd be doing something else. I'd be driving a taxi, I suppose. What else could I do with all of my hateful opinions? Only drive a, a taxi or an Uber. So thank you. Yeah, it's doing really well, the show. Um, Podomatic alone. So you know, I, you know I upload to Podomatic, right? And from Podomatic, it goes to all the other podcast platforms. So Podomatic alone now, not including iTunes, not including Spotify, to date in 2023, the show has been downloaded or played 3.6 million times. And that's on Podomatic alone. So that's great. Yeah, it's doing really well. And it's uh, on the iTunes chart. We're beating lots of people, LBC presenters, uh, talk TV presenters, The Guardian. We're beating a lot of people. And that is an amazing thing. And it isn't because I'm great or anything like that. It's because we're great. Because we're doing something different. It's the only daily radio show. The only one that, that, that's any way good anyway. Uh, talking about these subjects. It is the only one. And um, we're reaching lots of people these days. And I'm quite proud of that. Nothing to do with the ego. It's not about me. It's about us. We do this together, you and me. And yeah, when you're, you know, Owen Jones is heavily promoted by The Guardian. He's heavily promoted by um, Channel 5 and Jeremy Vine. He's constantly on Good Morning Britain on ITV, the little bollocks. And the Richie Allen show, promoted by nobody. Nobody knows who I am. I never get recognised when I'm in public, thank God for that. And yet we get more downloads on iTunes than Owen Jones. That is fantastic. That's what it is. No bullshit, that's what it is. Right, anyway, in fact, it's even better today than it was yesterday. They do the charts daily, you see. They do them daily. Edison, can you do me a favour as well? Some of you are taking the piss with regards to the app. You know, like, I look down, the message is coming in, and some of you are sending me 10, 12, 15 messages, all in a very short space of time. Can you not do that, please? Like, can you make a point or two in one message and then just give it a rest for a few minutes before you will point again. I know it's very interesting. I know I'm very interesting, obviously. Right? But give it a rest, some of you. You know who you are. Okay. One every five minutes or every ten minutes is enough. You scallies. Theodore is listening. He says, give a shout out to my kid brother, Diesel Harris. We are listening to you at the darts at Minehead. I should be out drinking, says Theodore. Good man, Theodore. Butlins in Minehead. That'd be John McDonnell, the MC there, I reckon, over the weekend. Is that the UK Open darts or what is it? Is it the FA Cup of darts this weekend? I, I could be wrong. I don't know what's going on. Hi to Gaz, who says, Richie, we need to wipe out every human being over five years old and start again, says Gaz. Not sure that's a good idea, Gaz, but thanks for your message. <laughs> Thank you for your message, you madman. Hi to Wendy, who says, Richie, Owen Jones is a twat, she says. Wendy, couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, Kay. Hi to Bill. Bill says, all doctors will say you cannot catch pneumonia from someone else by being in close contact with them. It's something happening internally, so flu is a milder form of pneumonia really, so if you cannot catch pneumonia, you cannot catch flu, says Bill, who's presumably a doctor or a virologist. I don't know about that, Bill. I've had pneumonia several times, as my older listeners will know it nearly killed me on two occasions. So I, I don't know. 
Anyway, I'm going to take a tune now before we um, line up Dr. Ahmad Malik. Later on, Sean Walsh will be on the show. Nice to connect with Sean again. 23 and a half minutes past the hour. How about some Gypsy Kings? Yeah, the Gypsy Kings, yeah. I love the Gypsy Kings. This is the Richie Allen Show, by the way, with me, Richie Allen. Back in three. Music from the Gypsy Kings and Bombaleo on the Richie Allen Show. 26 and a half minutes past the hour of four o'clock Thursday's program, November 23rd, 2023. If I get any more information about what's happening in Dublin, I'll let you know a bit later on. But there isn't anything new. I'm across RTE in Dublin and the BBC in London. I don't know what's going on. Five casualties after a city centre stabbing in Dublin, Parnell Square there. All right. Lovely stuff. Later on, Sean Walsh. Before that, let's welcome back a friend of ours to the programme. He is a consultant orthopaedic surgeon. He's more than that. He's got an excellent podcast, by the way. Health Matter, excuse me, Honest Health with uh, Dr. Malik. It's docmalik.com for all the information on the podcast. The last time we spoke with him, it wasn't great news. He'd been suspended by a hospital he was consulting at because of the opinions he offered about lockdown and about the vaccines and other things. He's considered medically trained, his expert opinions, you could say. Um, well, it's gotten, and, and we talked about a fundraiser he was running because he's going to take legal action as well he should do. And he got in touch with me yesterday to say that, well, it's kind of happened again. Let's welcome back to the programme our friend Dr. Ahmad Malik. Ahmad, welcome back, pal. How are you? I'm good. Um, do you know what? Just, just listening to your voice has put a massive smile on my face. <laughs> Thanks for that. And vice versa, pal. Vice versa. It's great to have you back on. Listen, um, it's pretty awful, really, isn't it? I'm, I, I, I suppose I'll very quickly set the stage. You, Because I've looked at this as a journalist and I cannot find fault with anything you did. You decided you were going to have a discussion about events in Israel and Gaza after the October the 7th invasion by Hamas. You got a couple of people on. You had a female journalist on or a female commentator on called Eva Bartlett. She spoke with you. And later on then... You spoke to Norman Fenton. Norman is um, somebody who's done some great work on the statistics around uh, COVID, but he's a Jewish man and he takes a very pro-Israel um, stance, which is fair enough. That's his absolute prerogative. I can't find fault with you. And yet, um, you're in the soup again. What's happened? <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> it's just gone mad. Um, mate. It's just um, crazy. I felt I felt like I should talk about Israel Palestine because all around me I just saw people descending into madness. You know, people who were very rational and calm and cool and skeptics when it came to COVID and challenging the government narrative and not trusting mainstream media. Suddenly, we're very polarized, and instead of being a united front, everybody is at each other's throat. And you know, you're either in this camp or that camp, and it made me very sad, made me very sad. And especially as a doctor, you know, when you hear other doctors taking sides, you know, as doctors, you know, we, we don't want to see any harm. We don't want to see any violence. We should be pacifists. And, you know, I think everything's linked. And I, I just think what's going on there is a tragedy for everybody. I'm not on anyone's side. I'm on the only side that I'm on is a team humanity. So I thought, you know what, let's just, let's try and get adult conversations, calm, cool, 
discussions, get people a chance to talk and not get all hysterical about it. Let's not get too angry and just try and understand from everyone's point of view. Um, anyway, so I did two podcasts, like you said, and I've actually invited I've invited other pro-Zionist, pro-Israel people, but they've declined, um, which is just interesting. And so I um, I posted a video on my Instagram, a very short clip of the conversation with Ava. And the reality is, full confession, I just don't have the time to be doing these short clips. I'm a one-man band, like you. I do all my scheduling, editing, promoting, interviewing, publishing, everything myself, all the everything in the podcast, because I don't have money to pay for expensive people. Um, and I don't have time really to do these clips, but I try and do them as often as I can, but there's normally a delay. There's always about a delay of a week or two before I get the shorts out, because I always say I'm going to do it. But anyway, I did this one, and a couple of surgeons reached out to me, one of whom I knew quite well, um, and he basically said, you know, why, why did you put this lady on your podcast and I said have you heard it and he went no I went well why don't you do and if you've got an issue with it come back to me and it'd be great to have you on the podcast he never responded then and then this other guy got in touch with me through Instagram never never spoke to him before in my life and he goes like why are you promoting this propaganda and shame on you <laughs> and I took a bit of offense to that because like I said to him, like, what, shame on me for being a victim of propaganda or being upset that people are dying, you know, children dying and whatnot. Um, maybe shame on you for not speaking up about lockdowns and mandates and forced jabs. Anyway, I don't know. I don't think that all went down very well. Both these guys work, well, one of them works at the hospital that I worked out of in London. I mean, the next day, yesterday, I got an email from the hospital saying, we've suspended you. And we've suspended you because of your Instagram post interviewing this lady and it lacks context and it can be you know upsetting to members of the public the hospital patients doctors nurses god knows what so we're suspending you and i i was i'm just in shock because isn't everything on social media upsetting and offensive to someone to somebody <laughs> yeah yeah i mean what what you did was you uploaded a snippet of a long form conversation you're entitled to do that as a teaser. Here's a teaser. I've got yeah. this woman on. Yeah. She's very anti-Israel. I've spoken to her. I've also spoken to a very pro-Israel guy. Um, it should be pretty cut and dry. Like, have a listen to the long-form conversation. Or if you're not interested, don't listen at all. But here we are in 2023. Um, it is considered sufficient to say, well, you're not welcome back at this hospital anymore. And this, yeah. this so idea... So the funny thing is... Yeah. Go ahead. The, the the key thing is what you said, teaser. So the, the whole point of a snippet is you get juicy bits, you know, controversial bits to make people go, oh, what's this? What's going on here? Oh, what's she talking about? Let me listen to this. That's all about you. You don't put a boring segment on. <laughs> you, do, you do something that's a bit controversial. You know, that's the whole point. That's what makes it interesting. And, um, you know, I didn't even say anything in the snippet. I was just like, I was just like, listening to this person, you know, I offered no opinion. This is just a snippet of someone talking. Yeah. And you know what? I'll go back to what I said right at the beginning. I respect everyone's um, right to free speech. Norman Fenton came on my platform and spoke for one hour, 40 minutes, quite passionately. 
and gave a very pro-Israel stance. And I might not agree with all of it, but he was I, I welcomed and I was really glad that I gave him a platform to talk and that we were able to end it in a civil manner, politely, and we know there was no anger shouting. You know, he got to say what he wanted to. He got he got it off his chest. He, and I, I might disagree with it, but I, I think he's got the right to say what he wants to 100%, say. 100%. And the same goes... You gave him the same consi- for Ava Bartlett. Yes, and you gave him the same consideration you gave her. This is the whole point of it. And I know you'll understand what I'm about to say. Others won't. You're not a journalist. You're a consultant orthopedic surgeon. On your podcast, which I do watch and I enjoy, you have relaxed conversations with people where you exchange ideas and you listen. You're not Jeremy Paxman. You're not there to scream no. at people and jump across the table at them. You know. Now, no. th- th- that, I mean, that should be clear to anybody. This is a surgeon who's making a podcast. Um, it's it's horrible to be dealing with that. And I mean, you're a professional guy. And despite, even when you know you're right, there's still that kind of propensity for embarrassment, isn't there? I mean, you're embarrassed by this stuff. You have no reason to be embarrassed, but it must be I'm, getting to you. I'm you know? not. I'm actually, Are you not? I'm actually embarrassed for my profession. I'll be honest with you. I'm embarrassed Good for... Good on you. I'm embarrassed for my colleagues. I'm embarrassed for the hospital because, look, so part of what I think they they're not happy about is like, you know, how dare I talk about something contentious and political that can be upsetting to people, right? But the thing is, it's not like an even playing field. It's not the laws aren't equal, so they can politicize things. They can they can have all the staff wearing LBGTQ lanyards and posters everywhere advocating LBGTQ and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff. And then they can have you know all their staff wearing you know Ukraine badges or on their bios consultants having I I stand with Ukraine and all that. So privately, publicly. You're allowed to do the things that are accepted by the establishment, the authorities, by the corporations, whatever you want to call it. But if you have a viewpoint that is different from the accepted standard, you know, but not necessarily wrong, just different, um, that's unacceptable. So there's a lot of hypocrisy that goes on. And this whole ESG, DEI, whatever, you know, environment, social governance, and then a subgroup of that is diversity, equity, inclusion, all fluffy, nice terms. But what's happening is there's this corporate takeover where they're telling us not only what we can buy and shop and do, but what we can think and what we can say. And now you've got a point where many people are self-censoring. They're scared to say anything. That's scared to say anything because they'll offend someone or upset someone. Yeah. And what, look, how is it any different from communism? How is it any different from any totalitarian state where you are scared to say what you really think? And then the state That's doesn't need... No, it isn't. And this, this is something I've been telling my listeners for years, for years, that in the future, states will not need to legislate to keep people quiet. They will not need to do it. Because they will have conditioned people into a place where, as you've just described, they will think it's not worth the risk or the hassle to say what it is I feel. um, So therefore, I won't say it. That is what is coming down the line. And this idea has come. Yeah, it's it's, it's horrendous. You smashed it. It's horrendous. You smashed it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, And, you know, Nick Hudson was on my podcast recently and he said the best line ever. He said, look. I say to all of you out there listening, if you are scared of being cancelled by your work, by whatever, you know what? Go out and make yourself cancelled. 
so that no one else can do that to you. Just go go do something and be independent. And it might mean a pay cut. It might mean a little cut to your quality of life. But you know what? At least you're free. Because if you're not free to say and think what you want, you're not free. No. You're a serf or a slave. And what a horrible, horrible place to be in. So, you know, if you ask me, could you go back in time and not interview Ava Bartlett and not put it on your Instagram and, you you know, you'd still be working in that hospital, which you kind of needed because it's the last 20% of your practice. Because remember, the other hospital that suspended me was where, where I got most of my work. So, you know, 80% of my work just dried up. And I was holding on literally like, you know, to the, on the edge of the cliff with this, um, the last two hospitals that I'm working out of. And then boom, another one goes. It's like, I'm on my last little finger hanging on this cliff. And, and it's actually not viable. I'm actually at a point, even at that 20%, because I, I need to be earning, I need to be, you know, at 40%, 45% just to make, you know, even cut, you know, um, pay off the overheads. Um, so at 20%, I was loss making, but I was thinking, you know, at least I'll hold on to my secretary. I'll hold on to my secretary. I'll do this legal case. I'll crack on ahead and and hopefully I will be okay. Now, now this has knocked me right off. I, I actually had to tell my secretary yesterday, look, I'm afraid I, I can't hold on to you in the new year after Christmas. You're going to have to find a new, 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 new boss. And that's a tragedy because it's it's five years I've been working with her. And she was saying to me, it's really funny, on Facebook, I got a reminder, it was five years ago today that I was working with you. And now five years to the day, I, I'm leaving you. And and it's really sad because she's not just my secretary. I think of her as, a, my, as my friend. She's a lovely person. I love her husband. And, you know, I, th I don't think people realize the ones that do all this, because trust me, it's not just corporations. And, and I know people want to hide behind the corporate body, but there are people who have decided that they are not happy with me and they will use any opportunity to get me and shut me up and punish me. And yeah. it doesn't just hurt me. It hurts my family. It hurts my patients who I cannot treat anymore. And, and it hurts, you know, people like my secretary. So it's really quite sad to be honest, Richie. It is. And again, it, because the point does bear repeating, it's done to you and it's done to others to signal to the herd. Look at what happens. Mm -hmm. This is what happens. It could be you. You could be next. Therefore, the next time there's an outrageous, I don't know, event, there's an outrageous geopolitical event and people might want to say something about it or they might want to have a little, you know, Palestine badge. You know, they don't support Hamas. They don't support murder of anybody. But like we, you know, but we, we don't like to see the place carpet bombed uh, for three, four weeks and thousands of people killed. So I'm going to wear a little badge. Well, if you do you know, you're next, you know, you're next for the chop, you're next for the, for the but, exile. But, but do, you not, do you not think that's funny? Because if I went into that workplace wearing a stand and stand in Ukraine, you oh, know, a little course. Ukraine flag, of course, no one would have bad an eyelid. No, no one would have bad. I, I can actually say, even if I wear an Israeli flag, probably I wouldn't get in any trouble whatsoever. No, no doubt. But now, you can't speak with these people. I don't. Robert. You can't and I don't want to wear a Palestinian flag because actually I've, I've made it clear I'm not taking any sides. I've said it so many times. I don't want to. That's the whole point. They want us to take sides and we shouldn't. We should not go into the, you know, division and hatred. So I've deliberately said that. But just giving someone a platform 
it was enough. And, and and you've nailed it, by the way. It's not about, oh, you know what, let's just get Ahmed done. You know, it's about sending a message. So today, I don't know if you know, or just yesterday, Sarah Myhill, Dr. Sarah Myhill, was up against the GMC. And she's been asking to be taken off the register for years. For years, yeah. And guess what? They just said, right, you're banned and from and suspended for another 12 months. We'll have another hearing in 12 months. And in the meantime, her face is all over Daily Mail. Look at her, worm, dewormer, doctor, blah, blah, blah. You know, what? what is this all about? It's about sending a message predominantly to other doctors saying, don't be a quack doctor. Don't step out of line. If you do, we will make your life hell and, it works. and public. And it works. I, I interviewed Sarah okay. in the past and I've interviewed Dr. Jane Dunnigan, a wonderful woman. They did it to Jane, the same thing. They stalked Absolutely. Jane Dunnigan. Anytime Jane spoke in public, they stalked her, recording what it was she was saying. None of it was was uh, was was problematic. And they went after Jane Dunnigan as well. You nailed it. Let me just remind our listeners, you can hear, you can see Dr. Ahmad Malik at docmalik, D-O-C-M-A-L-I-K dot com. There you will find links to the podcast. He's got terrifically interesting uh, guests on the show. They have great long-form conversations, which are great to listen to, where issues are extrapolated. You know, it's not six, seven minutes. You get to actually hear uh, ideas and, you, get, you, you know, you get to hear different accounts of things. DocMalik.com. And um, so what next then? I mean, where in terms of, I suppose, the, the, the wheels, the legal wheels are grinding with respect to your case yeah. against the original hospital. I know you're fundraising for that. How's that going? Well, that was that was overwhelming. I mean, um, within, within the space of eight days, we raised something like £25,000. And I think what it shows is people have an appetite for seeing justice and they know what's at stake. Because if someone like me who actually, you know, I'm not doing this to make, you know, give myself a big head, but I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm calling out the BS. I'm saying how we should have defended medical ethics. I'm reminding people what medical ethics is all about. I'm advocating good health. Um, I'm, I'm exposing things that are not good in our profession. And actually what I should be done is I should be rewarded for this and thanked for this and congratulated for this. All right. And instead I'm being punished for it. And that's not right. We live and, in an inversion. And, and people, people know this. And if, if doctors can't speak up in the, in the defense of their patients because they're fearful of being investigated and suspended and losing their livelihoods, the next time you or your listener or their listener's children or wife goes into hospital or a clinic, you know, when it's treating their grandfather or whatever, when they go into a physical clinic building, whether it's to see a nurse or a doctor, how do they know that individual is doing what's in their best interest and not just towing the line because if they don't do it, they're going to get into trouble? This is a huge thing. How do you know they're just not doing what's expected of them, even though it might be harmful for you or your loved one? And, and that's a, that is a serious issue that we have right now. It's massive, by the way. And if I if I made an example of what it means is you can't really trust any of these doctors because they're quiet for a reason. And even though there might be something seriously wrong or it's not in your best interest, you won't know or they won't tell you because 
if they do, they might get into trouble and they might be the next Ahmed Malik or Dr. Stair Myhill or Andrew Wakefield or Jane Donegan. So you know what? If they just toe the line and do as they're, do as they're told, they collect their paycheck and their pension, they won't get investigated. All right, one or two people might get harmed, but you know what? No big deal. If they speak out and question, well, shit show's coming their way. Well, this is a really bad place to be in. And we all as a society should be really quite concerned. And I think that's why I've had so much support because people are like, this is important. This isn't, this should not be allowed. What has Ahmed Malik done? Has he harmed any patient? No. Has he been operating on patients when they shouldn't have? No, quite the opposite. Has there been any patient complaints? No. So then what is this actually all about then? If there's no patients, if he's a clinically excellent surgeon, surgeon, and I've got, you know, appraisals and feedback from countless patients and colleagues who tell me who, you know, and it's been submitted to the GMC, you know, Am is amazing, fantastic doctor, patient safety is top of his um, priorities, blah, 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 blah. Why is that not important? What is the issue then? Why am I going through this hell? If I'll tell you why. That. I'll tell you why, and you know the answer because there is a wider there's a wider agenda at play here, and yeah. it's um it's accelerating now. Um, it really is accelerating now. They're using. You're right, by the way. You're right to make the point on your podcast. You're right to make the point here. These terrible things that happen, they're they don't happen in isolation, and they are used, they are taken advantage of to further these agendas. And we, we see with the situation in Gaza, if we can just leave aside the horrors of it for a minute, look at who has taken advantage of it. They've used it to advance the censorship agenda, haven't they? They've used it as yeah. a means to divide people along the lines that you've seen on social media, people screaming at one another, people falling out with one another. There you are again. What even gets forgotten is images like that young girl putting a blanket over her or or baby brother all, all of that goes out the window it becomes me against you it becomes a machismo thing i'm right you're wrong more division uh yeah no matter what it is whichever news item it is i mean today tomorrow it'll be you know you'll have people on social media tomorrow you'll have conservatives in ireland if it turns out that the yeah. stabbing in ireland by the way if it turns out that uh, the perpetrator happens to be somebody of dark skin You'll get that mob, you know, screaming about immigration. And look, there is a problem with immigration. I know that. And then you'll have leftists mm. then screaming at them. And that's what it does. And that's what it's designed to do. Listen, Jerry Waters, I mean, there's one we could mention, said that he wouldn't give the jab to people because not enough is known about it. They destroy Jerry Waters. The list of doctors. Mm. I'd love to have a wall somewhere where you could put photographs of the doctors like yourself, like Jerry Waters, like Jane Donegan. Um, like Sarah Moyhill, who who did the right thing by people. And, you know, I didn't consider what you said to me three minutes ago. That ha- hadn't actually occurred to me. And I'm not the dumbest guy, you know, in, in the independent media, but it did not occur to me what you said is right. How could you trust a GP now that he or she is doing right by you and is not actually yeah. a bit concerned about something that they're giving you but can't say anything because of the consequences? That is a brilliant point. Brilliant. Yeah, and and it's real and it's scary. It's scary. I'm telling you right now, it's happening up and down the country. People are just keeping their head down and staying quiet because they got bills to pay, because they don't want to lose their job. They've got debts. 
and they've got families and a mortgage, as if I don't. And um, they don't want to. They don't want to risk it. And this is how you get good people to do bad and evil things. You know, um, I'm telling you, and we're we're in a. I don't mean to be all dark and conspiratorial, but we're in a really horrible phase of our history here in the UK and much of the West. You know what happened in Germany. I never really understood as a kid, and even as, as a young adult. I struggled with it. How could a whole country, you know, end up just being so goddamn evil? It doesn't make sense. What, what was that all about? Well, actually, now, now I kind of see where it all kicked off because you just get good people to start othering, to start self-censoring, yeah. to start pulling the line. And and that's what happens. And it's not, most of the evil in the world isn't done by lots of evil people. You know, a little bit of evil is done by a little bit of people. But most of the evil is done by good people doing nothing. And yeah. that's the problem. Staying silent. You know, and staying silent. Yeah. And today, like, so today, Richie, one very, very quickly. But right now, it's me, right? Yesterday, it was Sarah Myhill. Today, it's me. Someone might be saying, oh, tomorrow, it'll be someone else. Good, good for them. You know what? Oh, they've got the balls to do that. Maybe he's a rich orthopedic surgeon and blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. I got none of that. I got 400,000 mortgage. I got three young kids. I got, I got bills to pay as well. This is very stressful. Thing is, today is me. Today it could be you. When that beast of what you call cancel culture, whatever it is, comes and you face it, it's a day of reckoning. And I'm telling you right now, what are you going to do? You're going to live your whole life just in fear and careful what you say, say it in front of your friends and in front of your colleagues, in front of your clients, because you know what? You're going to be next. That Living in that state of heightened fear and stress, that, that ain't worth living. That's bullshit. It leads, I think, to self-loathing. It definitely leads to self-loathing mm. because when you know, yeah. when you know what's right and what's wrong, but you're nervous about standing up to be counted there's no doubt yeah. it leads to self-loathing because none of us really wants to be a coward we've all at some stage in our lives every one of us whether as a young man or or as a kid we've all ran away from something and then we didn't like it you know i ran away from a bully not a bully but i ran away from a guy um one night years ago and i thought you should have stood your ground and you should have had it out with him richie right this is years ago and for days afterwards mm-hmm. i i felt i felt nothing but revulsion for myself and and I reckon there's a lot of that going on. People are making themselves ill with that. They know something is drastically, terribly wrong with their environment, yeah. with the world they live in. But like you said, Ahmad, they're like, but I can't because I, I've I, you know gas and electric, or or, or the, the 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 wife has got to go back home to France, or I've got to find money for a plane ticket. I better shut me bloody mouth, and that leads to self-loathing. And I would say to every one of those people, I never remember so how this. Go ahead, jump in, jump in. I, I need to give you an example. So on Monday, right, I saw one patient in my clinic. This is what I mean. Like, I can't practice seeing one patient, right? But I'm there. I'm waiting for my one patient who was, who was actually 10 minutes late. And, um, and one of my colleagues walks in, and I know him. And I haven't seen him for a while. And he goes, oh, I'm really sorry to hear about your suspension at the hospital, mate. must be really tough. I mean, yeah, it's been really tough, mate. And um, we start chatting. And I said, you know, how's life? He went, yeah, it's all right put on a bit of weight, need to lose it. I went, well, you know, what are you doing about it? He went, oh, it's a drink, you know? And I said, well, can you stop? And his answer shocked me. 
he went, life wouldn't be worth living if I did. And I was like, what? He, and I went, what about your family? What about your, your loved ones and your wife? And, and he was like, nope. And he goes, what do you like doing to relax? I went, I love playing with my kids. I love cuddling up with my wife. I love having sex with her. And he goes, huh? Yeah, I just want to get drunk. <laughs> I went, are you okay? Are you enjoying your work? And he just shrugged and then walked out. And I think this is the problem. People are just deeply unhappy and they know they're living a lie. They know they're being cowardly. They know they're being caged. They know something's not right and they're not doing anything about it. So what happens? You get anxiety, you get depression, you get self-loathing, you get all of this. So I think I'd rather be poor and happy than rich like my colleague and bloody miserable. Yeah, 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 yeah. And be able to look yourself in the mirror at seven o'clock in the morning or at six o'clock in the morning and be happy at what's staring back at you. Can I ask you before we, we wrap today, before we do, docmalik.com. If you listen to or watch the podcast regularly, I do say this with all my guests, by the way, but if you do... Okay. Um, I'd ask you to support it, right? The independent media, we're not blessed or we're not fortunate enough to have advertisers banging down our door to place advertisements on our contact, despite some of the numbers some of us are putting up. Um, but we just don't get um, advertisements. So we are dependent on people who listen, who do have a couple of quid, to spend a cup of coffee or a fiver or a tenner a month with um, the, the oh, content creator. Go ahead. Can I quickly add something? Can I quickly add something? Jump That's in. such a good point. Well, first of all, I think at least half of my subscribers and supporters are your supporters because they always message me and say, oh, I love Richie Allen. I'm supporting him and people like him need all the support and you're like him and I want to support you. So to all my supporters who are your share support, I just want to say thank you so much. I freaking love you. But you know what? I actually got in touch with a company about sponsoring me. I thought, you know, like I want to, companies that I use and they weren't going to give me very much. Me, I mean, they were, I mean, I'm talking about once a month, they're going to pay me 50 pounds. And, you know, <laughs> that was the sponsorship. And, you know, right at the point when we were like, right, let's go live. We'll do a promotion code and whatever. whatever. Um, they came back to me and said, our media, you know, we, the, the owner of the company loves what you do, but he can't come on your podcast anymore. And, you know, our marketing team, media team have looked at your can. You've got a very wide social um, impact. We're worried about um, the effect it might have on some of the community and that it might trigger them. And for that reason, we have to withdraw. I mean, this is no nothing personal. You're doing a great job. We love what you're doing, but we can work with you. But we're not going to stand up for you. We're not going to stand alongside you. We're yeah. not going to stand alongside you. Cowards. No. Cowards. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and so it comes back to what you're saying. Like, you, we haven't got the sponsors. And actually, do you even want the sponsors? Because they could cancel you tomorrow. The reality is people like you and me need to be supported by our listeners. So... All of those people who are, I would say who are listening to your show and have been doing so for years and it's been their mental crutch, here is the barometer of sanity and normality amongst this clown world. Do you know what? Support Richie Allen. Because you know what? He's not ruling in it. And so, he's got his own shit. And likewise, if you're listening to my podcast, you know, 12 to 15 every month, do you know what? £3.50 my Substack. I mean, it's not even, that's less than a coffee. So you know you. what? There's no point saying, "Oh, I hate the system. I want to fight against the system." 
if you're actually not even willing to dig in and support people like us who are right at the front, right, you know, taking the shrapnel and the flak. It's even more important they support somebody like yourself because you are, you're more of a gateway to the confused than than I am, you see. There are millions of people who know something is wrong and they're looking for answers. Yeah. You're a much better guy because you're a doctor. You are the, of course you're not the establishment, but you, you are. To people, we still deify doctors, rightly or wrongly, we still do. And that's why I say to people all the time, you know, when you don't have too many people like Ahmad Malik, but when you do, keep him going because people are going to find him and go, Oh, orthopedic surgeon, is he? Very interesting. Yeah, why is he saying what he's saying? So, yeah, guys like you are a gift, really, that you've stepped away from the 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 system, as it is, and uh, and, and I think people are likely to be curious about you. So, so again, I'd, I'd reciprocate. Go to docmalic.com, watch the podcast, share it with others, and um, ver- a bare minimum, 350 a month, Jesus wept, uh, do it. Can I just say it, pal? I'll give you the last word as usual. I was gutted when I got yeah. your message yesterday. It's a shit show. I, I've gone through it myself. I know how. I, I believe you. I, I believe you when you say you're not embarrassed. I know you're not. But it's still horrible because, you know, you're a fighter. And the very fact that the bastards do these things, you know, you want to confront them. But, of course, they won't allow that. They run and they hide. So um, I was a yeah. bit disappointed to hear this uh, yesterday, but um, it's hardly going to stop you. So final word to you and thanks for your time today. No, thank you so much, brother. Uh, and the thing is, look, I think you're 100% right. The fact that I've got that education, that credibility, that qualification is actually what frightens them and which is why I'm under so much attack. Because I'm coming from a position where I can actually lay bare and say, this is wrong. Okay? And, and you can't argue with me regarding that. And and if you look now, where, where they're attacking me, it's not my practice. It's not my clinical practice. I'm an excellent surgeon, excellent doctor. It's nothing to do with that. It's all bullshit reasons. It's bullshit reasons to try and bog me down, drain my energy, sap me, make an example of me, punish me, um, because they're scared of me. So I'm not embarrassed. I'm absolutely not embarrassed. I'm actually quite quite actually humbled that they see me as such a threat and um, because and and we need to do that you know more people need to stand up and say no this has gone too far but sadly i think things are going to get a lot worse before they get better so people out there strap in and, <laughs> and get ready for the ride get it's going to be interesting yeah great to have you back on um, uh, thanks for it buddy docmalik.com is the website if you haven't been there before I'm pretty sure you have but check it out share it with others have a great weekend pal and we'll talk again soon yes you too brother bye 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 for now Dr Ahmad Malik live on Thursday's Richie Allen show it is exactly well it's gone just gone uh, 5 o'clock here in the UK thanks for your messages there I'll read a few of them now uh, Chris says Richie having been sacked myself in November 2021 for not having the jabs people need to realise there are consequences for standing up to tyranny I hear you Chris pal and I've this is why I've never judged anybody never I really haven't I, I don't pontificate you know I don't have a, a kind of moral superior superiority complex but you know because I stepped away from mainstream or, or whatever I don't I, I, I walk a mile in somebody's shoes before you judge them I, I certainly would not so you're right to say that, pal. Absolutely right. 
Um, Lucy says, hi, Lucy, who's in Northern Ireland. I personally have no faith in doctors, dentists or vets anymore. I fear car accidents on the roads and I'm an awful passenger. Imagine if I needed blood, she says. Uh, Doc Malik is superb. Thanks for bringing him on your show. If only they were all like him. Yeah, I mean, there are many now, but they're scattered all over the world, you know, doctors who did say and do according to their conscience. They said and they did the right thing according to their conscience, but they're scattered to the four winds, aren't they, these doctors? No doubt about that. Um, Lots of messages coming in. Kay says, the trust in doctors and the medical profession in general was lost for me, says Kay. During COVID, you've got to watch them like a hawk. It is terrifying. The doc is right. That's uh, from Kay. Thank you, Kay. Uh, thank you very much. Right, it's coming up for two minutes past the hour. Here's a tune. Back with more of your comments. And in a few minutes' time, Sean Walsh will return to the programme. I really enjoyed speaking with Sean. Back in the spring, we talked about AI. We won't really touch on AI today. We might a little bit. We might a little bit because Jeremy Hunt the Chancellor of the Exchequer, is promising returning the country to growth, economic growth. Rachel Reeve, the Shadow Chancellor, says, when Labour gets in, we will see a period of growth. But how can you grow the economy when small businesses and medium-sized businesses are disappearing faster than... I don't know. I can't think of anything that's disappearing faster. But they're disappearing very quickly. And business in every sector of business. It is being hoovered up by Jeff Bezos and others. How can you grow the economy when artificial intelligence will be doing the jobs of people in the financial sector? Where's the growth going to come from? The liars on the left and the liars on the right, they all say the same thing. Green technology. As we transfer over to a more green way of living, we'll have green jobs. But that's bullshit too. And they know it, right? Anyway, you're, 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 you're lecturing again, Baldy. I know, I know I'm lecturing. I know, I know I'm bald as well. I'm bald. Why didn't somebody tell me I was bald? Steve Earle. Copperhead Road is a wonderful album. Steve Earle, that's Johnny Come Lately. The musicians playing on that are the Pogues. Yes, we mentioned earlier on Shane McGowan is out of hospital. Thank God for that. Love Shane McGowan. So we do. If the only thing he'd ever done in his life was written Fairy Tale of New York. If the only thing he'd ever done. But he did a lot more than that. About that stabbing incident in Dublin, Parnell Square. The latest is a man is being held in connection with it. Five people were stabbed, including children. One of the children is seriously injured, as is the woman. There was a man and a woman with three children. It's a nasty, nasty incident, that. The Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, in Dublin, said he won't rule any motivation for the attack in or out. He was asked if there could be a terrorist element to, to, to what happened. He said, quote, in effect, the investigation has to examine any and all motivations. I'm not ruling any motivation in or out at this moment in time. An individual has been arrested and we're not seeking anyone else in respect of this incident itself at this moment in time, but the investigation will obviously unfold. As I mentioned earlier on in the programme, if it does turn out that this guy is an asylum seeker um, or has recently arrived in the country, uh, it'll kick off, no doubt, in, in Dublin and in, in other parts of Ireland, uh, undoubtedly. 
So nasty incident that, yeah. I had an email overnight, by the way, and for the life of me, I can't remember who sent it to me, but I think it's somebody who contributes regularly. And the person said that November 23rd is means something to the elite, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see something. Um, I'm going to find it. Do you know that? I, do you know what? It's probably not the right thing to do because it's going to take me probably a couple of minutes, but I've got a couple of minutes before I get shown on. But give me a minute or two and I'll find this email which came in overnight. I'll find it for you now. Um, I'm going to find it for you. Uh, let's see. Okie doke. So talk away amongst yourselves there, dearest listener. I think it came in after the show last night. And here it is. It came in from Chris Morell. Hi, Chris, who's a regular contributor. And this came in late last night, okay? It, it didn't come in late last night. It came in just as I was about to finish the programme. And this is what Chris said. November 23rd, he was responding to my interview with Bruce Fenton, the lovely Bruce who came on yesterday to talk about disclosure and fake alien invasions. We had a lovely conversation with Bruce, right? So when Bruce had left and, and, and gone back to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to doing what Bruce was going to do after he finished the show, Chris Morell wrote, November 23rd, Bruce didn't get a chance to talk about numbers, in inverted commas, but November the 23rd is flagged up by all the programming as an eventful day. And that was Chris Morell. And there may very well have been a terrorist-related incident in Dublin. That came in yesterday. Thank you for that, Chris. You see? Very good. Very good indeed. Lovely. Yes, fantastic. Okay, right. Um, let me get to more of your comments. Uh, the time is exactly 10 minutes past the hour. In fact, I might take another tune uh, to give myself a chance to have something to drink and then we'll get Sean on the programme. Sean Walsh. You know that Sean was on with me back in the spring, back in May. He's a philosopher. He's a teacher, taught at university. He's a conservative commentator and writer. He's written some very interesting pieces for lots of different well-known publications, including The Conservative Woman which we like reading. We know some of the journalists who write for The Conservative Woman. They come on this programme. They're very good. Think of Sally Beck. Okie dokie. So I will. I'm going to buy myself a minute now and I'm going to play you something by Simple Minds. It is Thursday after all. It is the end of my week. I tell you what, moving to four o'clock really has been, uh, well, it's been a new lease of life for your BBG. Uh, a new uh, lease of life entirely. Hey, listen, quick plug for the Papers podcast. Is The Papers is a newspaper review show. It isn't a show. It's a podcast Monday to Friday. It's usually online around about 8 o'clock in the morning, but don't bank on it. There will be some mornings things happen. It might be a bit later. But The Papers, you'll find it wherever you get your podcast. You will find The Papers. All righty. So while I get Sean lined up, this is Simple Minds on your Richie Allen Show, Thursday's programme. There's a time fast approaching 12 minutes past the hour. Simple Minds and Someone Somewhere in Summertime on the Richie Allen Show. Thank you for all your texts and messages. If uh, I'm going to say it again, do, if you can, download the app for the show. If you're in Ireland or somewhere where it tells you the app isn't available in your area, ignore that and download a VPN, a virtual private network. And if you do that, you'll be able to download it and you'll be able to participate because I get a lot of messages through the app from people in Ireland who've done 
that very thing. I'm looking forward to chatting with my next guest. He was great when he came on the programme back in the spring. Uh, he was writing, uh, is writing, he's writing for a lot of publications, but at the time he wrote something very interesting about artificial intelligence for the con woman or the conservative woman. He's a philosopher, a university teacher, a conservative commentator and writer. I want to ask him about conservatism, by the way. What do we understand it to mean? Because he tweets, and I'm a bit of a spy. I don't do a lot of tweeting myself, but I do like to spy uh, voyeuristically. I have a look at what people are tweeting. And he tweeted something about how, you know, the basically the shit show that is the Conservative Party and it being removed from conservatism. We'll have a chat about that. Lots to talk about. Let's welcome back to the programme our friend Sean Walsh. Hello, Sean. How are you? Not too bad. How are you? Thank you for having me back. It's, Thank you for having me back again. It's a pleasure to have you back again. I'm going to make a little adjustment there now because you sound great. Bring up a little bit. I wanted bit of, to ask you something, actually. You wanted to ask me something. I asked a question. I'm only joking. Go ahead. What do you want to ask me? <laughs> in fact, I think I mentioned it to you in the preamble. The Pink Floyd thing. Right. Yeah, I've never gotten them. That's what you wanted. No, neither have I. There must I've, be... I've got this cohort of friends who think they're brilliant, and I think they're just. It, it, I always thought that Pink Floyd were incredibly accomplished musicians, but basically indulging in making everyone else feel upset. My friend Paul Ripley has an answer for both of us. Paul loves them. And he says that people keep forgetting that Pink Floyd are prog rock or progressive rock, and that a lot of people judge Pink Floyd when they hear them for the first time now. You're. I don't think, I think we're of a similar age, I think. Or maybe there's a couple of years difference. I'm slightly I don't, older than you. You're slightly older than me, right? Um, I'm 56. Right, so slightly older than me. So when I would have been exposed to Pink Floyd in the 80s, or I would have heard of them, Sean, I would have applied, and I think Paul is right here, I would have gone in there with an expectation of them sounding like something, because I was into rock. And of course, they don't sound like rock. They're prog rock, or progressive rock. And that's Paul's explanation for people like us, um... But yeah, I never, it, it, never got it them. Just, it just sounds like misery to me. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I understand that um, you can write music that's upsetting and you can gain something from it. Aristotle, going back all those couple of thousand of years, would write about the nature of tragedy. But with Pink Floyd, it seems like they're deliberately trying to upset you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I'm happy with that. Well, I'm, if you're that musically accomplished, then then do something a bit more positive with it. Not be so maudlin. But you see, I, I could be accused yes, of hypocrisy. that's a good way of putting it. Maudlin, yeah. I could be accused of hypocrisy, Sean, because I love the music of the Smiths as much as Morrissey, but the Smiths. And friends of mine would tell me, it's so terribly depressing, Richie. How could you listen to it? But it isn't, no, I don't think. No, it's different. That's different with the Smiths, because with Morrissey, you know he's taking the piss. And you've got the jangly, upbeat guitars yeah. from Johnny Marr, whereas with Pink Floyd... I mean, I sat at that concert with Paul, and I love Paul, and I knew he was really enjoying it. And it was a treat for Paul, because the radio show has to treat Paul twice a year, or Paul disappears, he's off to Mexico, he's not coming back. If we don't look after him, we don't have an engineer. So the show treated, <laughs> so, so the show treated him, right? I tell you, Sean, I was sitting there thinking, I would rather be counting the spots on a ladybird farm, on ladybirds, than sitting here right now. It was so depressing, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that's exactly what Pink Floyd would want you to be like. 
I met one of them. I met the. Uh, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to eat up our time here, here, Richie. But I, I met one of them uh, a couple of times because um, my father was a music journalist. I don't know if you know about that. Yeah. But the the, the drummer, um, what's his name, Nick, whatever his name is, he's absolutely lovely in real life. I was thinking, well, why, why <laughs> buy into this horrible <laughs> idea that you have to just release this double album and we used to have double albums in those days do you remember i remember the double albums yeah the vinyl the d- double the vinyl with the, the with the gatefold so, so, sleeve yeah yeah uh, nick mason that was his name nick mason and he's, he he doesn't live too far away from me but i've i've met him once or twice lovely bloke i keep thinking well why why did he get involved with all this Obviously, the answer is money. They're artists, dear. They're artists. And millions of people can't be wrong. We're obviously wrong, you and me. And we need to just put that in our respective pipes and smoke it. I'm in complete agreement with you. But millions would tell us we're wrong. Sean Walsh is our guest. Sean, is uh, he wears many hats. University teacher, lecturer, philosopher. The man has written some brilliant pieces in the last couple of years for a variety of publications. And I was tickled to see something you tweeted the other day about the COVID inquiry getting on your tits, isn't it, Sean? Just a little bit. Well, I think it's baked into... I think it's not really an inquiry, is it? It's an inquiry into itself. It's onanistic. Um, what what specific tweet was it that, that I said? Because I've been saying some pretty nasty things well, about it. Well, it was about... It was kind, well, there was a number of them, but one of them was along the lines of your son being asked to investigate himself yeah, um, for, yeah, not, for not tidying that, his yeah. room. It's about his own bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to hold an inquiry into the nature of his own bedroom. So, that was a pretty good one, actually. So what's happening then? What, 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 what's really going on with the inquiry? So it, it tells us it wants to get to the bottom of what happened in 2020 and 2021. But and in reality, what is, it, what is it doing? It doesn't want to get to the bottom of that. That's it. The last thing it wants to get to the bottom of is, is what was going on at that point in time. And there was a few of us, yourself included, um, he had a slightly bigger platform than me, but I, I, I did my best to actually point out the same kind of stuff, which, which, which is, this is all nonsense. Um, and my big bugbear about the whole thing, you can't have an inquiry, Richie, because the inquiry is based on the premise that there could be a cost-benefit analysis when it comes to lockdown. You, there's no such analysis is available because the, the harms of lockdown are not quantifiable and it was intrinsically wrong so what, why have why have an inquiry into something that's intrinsically wrong what do you mean they're not quantifiable I'm, i want to explore this because you're not the first person i've heard say this you say they're not quantifiable but we could hear I, I, just, just, just let me finish this point, and then you come back in. Have all the time you want. Like you'd hear Molly Kingsley, uh, Molly's with us for them, and she advocates for the rights of children. So Molly would say, "Look, we can show you this terribly awful impact it had on children. So we could quantify that. So we could look at that. We could look at people not getting treated for." cancer or having exploratory procedures done and maybe they've died uh, since uh, since they were, were treating everything um, but, you know, sorry, treating nothing else but COVID. So how, how could we not quantify the harms of lockdown? Because 
you can't quantify all of them. And I, I know Molly's done absolutely brilliant work. I accept that. I mean, some of the harms are obviously tangible, but there are other intangible harms. I mean, I'm, I'm a single parent to a 14-year-old child, and this all kicked in when he was 11. And he was separated from his peers, and there's a certain form of spiritual harm there that can't be expressed on the government slide, if I can put it like that. A spiritual harm. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not criticising Molly. I mean, I know, I, I know Molly Kingsley's done absolutely brilliant work, and I'm on her side of the page here. But the, the whole idea of a cost-benefit analysis when it comes to something which involves really significant spiritual harms against the general population, how do you quantify it? Overall, how do you do that? I mean, one side of the argument had how many people were dying and how many people... The other side of the argument would be, um, well, they didn't have one, did they? Um, uh, uh, you know, you don't, you don't know what damage you're doing spiritually to kids when you separate them from their peers and they're not allowed to play with their, with their friends. And what do you mean spiritually? Do you mean emotionally or do you mean spiritually, like something else, something else energetically? I'll, I'll say emotionally. Let's, 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 let's put it as emotionally. Because I know you're a Christian man, and yeah. many of my listeners are Christians. In fact, some of my best friends are Christians. And they believe that a lot of what has gone on in the last three years is an assault on the spiritual. It's an assault on the connection between us and the source, whether the source is God or something else. And this is something I would have dismissed some years ago. But I'm certainly open to it now, Sean. So am I. This so am I. I mean, I, I was uh, up until about, about three or four years ago, or five years ago, I was a reasonably, not not reasonably, but sort of vaguely right-wing writer and saw things in a certain way. And then... My, my world was overturned when, when lockdown was introduced, and that just completely uh, overturned my worldview. Simple as that. And that, that means that uh, because I was bringing up a little boy, that that overturned his world as well. I, th I, I think the whole thing was a complete disgrace and, and, and a serious evil against the nature of um, human... Well, against the nature of humanity. And I'm, I will never forgive the Tory party for it. And you would have voted I, Conservative. And you, 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 I don't, I'm not sorry, sorry. No, mate, I was just going to say, you put out a brilliant tweet. Um, don't ask me now again to give it to you word for word, but you put a great tweet out about the nonsense that is the Conservative Party. And your tweet was about conservatism, you know, as, as what, what, what is conservatism? Um, what are conservative values? And... It, whatever those values are, they, they were abandoned, weren't they, in 2020, completely, by Johnson and his gang of merry men and women. Yeah, I'll make two points. I'll make two points about that, Richie. The first is, yes, I did put that tweet out, and I, they were genuine thoughts that I was having at the time. Second is, I'm even more angry than people that went along with it. So, I'm your brother. Um, I went for lunch... Um, this afternoon in um, a restaurant in um, Devizes, where I live. 
and a guy walked in with a mask on and my hackles were raised. These are the people I think I'm I'm most angry at. We always assume that governments are going to apply whatever power they're given, but don't give them the power. Don't hand it to them. No, exactly. Because they don't know what to do with it. All all they want to do with it is to subjugate the rest of us. There's absolutely no reason to be walking around with a mask on anymore. It's preposterous. It's a virtue signal. Your heart sinks, doesn't it? Your heart sinks when you see it. I, I see it in my in my local supermarket and I can't believe it either. And my heart just sinks into my shoes and I think, Jesus Christ, I don't mean to blaspheme, by the way. That's what I think. I, I'm, I'm an Irish guy. I think, what the hell? And you see it creeping in. What, what did you make of that story in the mail about China? So the World Health Organization is asking China to reinstate masks and social distancing and stay at home because of a mystery respiratory infection, they've also told kids to stay home from school. I mean, when I read that today, talk about your heart sinking, Sean. What do you reckon? What, what do you make of that? I've not read that, so I shouldn't really comment. No, fair enough. But I'm, I'm not. I'm not entirely surprised because I think uh, the totalitarianism is always a form of creep. I think it. You know. I think it goes. I think it goes discreetly. If, 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 if you know what I mean by that. I do know um, what you mean. And this this goes to, I mean, the very fact that the World Health Organization is calling on China to, to do this. We can we, we can talk about the pandemic treaty, which um, governments seem seemingly cannot wait to sign up to, which would absolve governments in the future of having to do anything when a new pathogen is identified somewhere in the world because the World Health Organization would take over, right? I'm, yes, I agree. I, I don't Cement. think that na- that national governments, alleged national governments, are in charge of anything. I, I, I think it's all coming from somewhere else. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. You're right. It doesn't matter anyway. I mean, yeah, that's a yeah, very I mean, good point. Yeah, no, I, I don't actually care anymore, uh, uh, Richie, whether um, the Tories or Labour win in this country. I, I, doesn't make any bloody difference, does it? No, it it's makes same, no difference. It's the same stuff that's been handed down by other people. It's funny you say that. Rachel Reeves was responding to Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement in the media this morning. And when she was asked about Labour's plans for next year, she couldn't give any answers. And the reason she couldn't is because she, she won't be drafting them. Because she doesn't know. She doesn't know and she won't have anything to do She's with it. She's not been told yet. Absolutely. 100%. And this is the thing. If I could give somebody, if I could, if I could give everybody in the country a little bit of wisdom tonight, that would be it. The understanding that these people are not running the show at all. They are messengers. Right, John? That's about the size of it. Yeah, yeah, but you've you, you, you've got uh, your. This is not new. This is in plain sight. You've, you've got your friend, uh, uh, what's his name, Mark Windows. Uh, Mark, yeah, he, yeah. He, he's he's expressing the same stuff more articulately than I am because he's examined it more closely. Uh, it's obvious what's going on. What's obvious is what's going on is that what's not going on, and it's not democracy. This whole idea that, um, that you can have two or three parties that uh, that share the vote is absolute nonsense. It's and, and it's ridiculous. interesting. It's interesting that an intellectual such as yourself, and you are an intellectual, 
that it took, and this is not a criticism, by the way, because I went around blissfully unaware of this for years, but it took the lockdown to take that veil away from your eyes to see that, that it was a sham. Yeah, Yeah. it did. It did. I I, I think, yeah, I I, I was thinking about this earlier on because I knew that this might be a point you might put to me and I was thinking about it. Lockdown was certainly the thing that removed the veil, but there were other things that were going on prior to that and I was very suspicious of. And they they go back to uh, uh, probably 9-11, was suspicious about what was happening there, but I couldn't believe that a government could do that. Um, death of Diana, well, death of Diana, preceded that, obviously. But yeah. you know, certain suspicion arouses in your mind, doesn't it? Were and you then suddenly it, it so, counterfies when 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 something like lockdown happens, and you realise actually your government doesn't like you. This is really interesting. Like now, this is interesting. Let's go back. Let's go back to ninety-seven then. Because so many people in academia, like yourself, expressed real discomfort with the story about Diana's demise. I found that fascinating. I was um, coming to the end of my first stint in uni when, when she died, or I just finished. And I was in touch with lecturers and others. And right through academia, there was, real, there was definitely a suspicion about what happened to her. Why were you at the time unhappy with the the story around how Diana passed away, if you remember. I do remember. Um, I was living, um, I was teaching at Liverpool University at the time, and I was living in a place called Ormskirk, and I woke up at three o'clock in the morning for some reason, and was reading teletext or whatever it was then, and it flashed up that Diana and Dodie killed in car crash. And I, I, I thought immediately then, that's okay, that's unlikely. But I woke my, I woke my girlfriend up and I, I said to her, guess who's dead? Like you do. That's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> you you wake your girlfriend up it's and hilarious. say, guess who's dead? It's not funny Diana died, but that's a very funny story. That's what we do. Guess You never guess who's dead. That's right. I know, I know. Like they're supposed to guess. <laughs> She she said, "Is it Martin McGuinness?" Did she <laughs> so, say no, that? Martin no, McGuinness, fantastic. Is it McGuinness? No, it's not Martin McGuinness. It's, how did how Diana. did how did she react as a woman when you told her Diana had died? Because women loved her. Uh, oh, um, I, I, she was quite neutral about it, to be honest. As yeah, she well, she she didn't display any. Um, horrific uh, emotional content if I can put it like that but you did and you weren't happy with it yeah, in the, in the I, days I, that followed I just, I just thought it didn't sound right yeah. I mean it, but you know I was in, I, I'm not allowed to say what I was doing at the, at the time professionally but it, it just it just didn't sit right with me and I'm pretty convinced that uh well, I'm pretty convinced she was murdered, actually, if you want me to be honest. Hang on a second. So you can't talk about what you were doing professionally at the time. So I'm not going to press you on that because that's your right. But I'm guessing that you were doing something that gave you more of an insight than the average Joe into maybe what happened to Diana. Is that right? 
without giving yeah. too much away. Right. Yeah. So we, I can add two and two together. And I, in my mind, I've got a picture of what you might have been doing. I guess you were a consultant for somebody or for something. But I'm not going to press you because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And to you, it looked like a murder. To others, it looked like a murder, but it looked like a ritualistic murder. Something that was meant to tell people or to convey to people that this was a murder. This was a big, big deal. Does that make any sense? Well, I think I think when you say ritualistic, I would say it was put on show. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's no proof of that. It could have been an accident. I I genuinely don't know. I really enjoyed Keith Allen's film, but I didn't ultimately think that he convinced me of. Who was behind it? I remain convinced, uh, Sean. By the way, you're listening to Sean Walsh, by the way. Sean is a journalist, university lecturer. He's a philosopher. Um, he's an all-around good egg. It's great to have him back on the programme. Um, he didn't convince me, Keith Allen, because my if I had to put a fiver on it, and I love that phrase, if I had to put a fiver on it, I'd go for elements of the military-industrial complex. She'd gotten Bill Clinton to sign off on banning the manufacturing of landmines, didn't she, Sean? Yeah. And I thought, there's a big red flag right there. And I've had to have a bet. Like, everybody wants to believe the royal family had something to do with it, and they might have done. What do I know? But I'm thinking the military security complex. What do you reckon? I think that's a fair, um, fair supposition, but I'm not really sure how they would hand down that order. Yeah. That would be my own reservation about that. I mean, I, I think the, I think um, intelligence services in this country are very ruthless when they have to be ruthless. But it's when they're told to be ruthless that um, you know they yeah. become ruthless. And then September- I've been watching. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to mention this once, and uh, because I don't want to affect anyone who's listening, but I've been watching several reasonably articulate stuff about Madeleine McCann. And there's some interesting stuff going on there about the parents. I'm going to say this with a big grin on my face. Nobody is more litigious than the McCanns. (laughs) They they are, aren't they? They are incredibly litigious. And I was asked previously by somebody, you've never gotten into the Madeleine McCann disappearance, Richie. And I said, no. Because I don't know what actually happened. Obviously, I don't. But for the second reason is um, they are unbelievably litigious. Like, I was going to interview the Portuguese detective and a friend of mine who was a solicitor said, you can't, Richie. Because... Was that the guy that they, they sued and then he sued back? He countersued, yeah. That's right. He's the and guy he who... he won, didn't he? Yes, in Portugal, yeah. Well, as far as I understand, well, he, he, he put the finger on the McCanns, didn't he? And... Um, you know, obviously they maintained that they they had nothing to do with it. Then there was another Portuguese investigation that said the McCann had nothing to do with it. Um, I haven't a clue, but I stayed away from it at the time because they were suing everybody and they, they were winning. And if this programme was successfully sued for libel, I'd be finished because I'd have to sell all the equipment and the studio because I don't have six figures lying around in a bank account or more to pay the McCann's. 11 million quid from crowdfunding. 11 million quid. 
Jesus. I mean, I've, I've you know, I've, I've not, I've not made any accusation. No, I know you haven't. No, no, I'm, and I'm not warning you. God, no, no, I know you're a professional. I know that. <laughs> they can come after me. I've no, got nothing. I don't got, really care. No, all I've got is the gear. But if they took the gear off me, I'm, 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 I'm finished. But yeah, the, the thing about it is, I was in Spain at the time when Madeleine McCann went missing. I've never known the disappearance of a child to receive so much media coverage. Even long after, you might be forgiven for thinking, God bless the kid wherever she is, hopefully she's alive. But long after, you might be forgiven for thinking, well, we'll drop this now because, you know, it's probably likely that we'll never find her, at least not find her alive. But it, it went on and on and on and on and on. And I know the... Scotland Yard spent like millions and millions of pounds on the investigation. 13 million. 13, as you said, 13 million, yeah. Since 2013, I think. For one child. And children go missing all the time. What was special about this child? Normally, they spend about £1,500 per missing child. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. quid is the usual spend. That's what I've been told. And... um, and there's a Dunblane element here as well, isn't there? That I've been reading about over the years. It's so tricky, this one. And you know, Sean, we're talking well, now. I know what you're. I know. I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. That she. That a lot of this uh, connects in complicated ways. Very complicated things. Listeners are funny, you know. We'll be accused. I'll be accused of cowardice by some listeners. They say, "I can't believe it, Richie." Um, it's not cowardice at all. I haven't a clue. Um, what happened to Madeleine McCann? I have no idea who did it or why. And to allow people, not you, Sean, but I've had researchers who said, I want to come on, Richie, to talk about the McCann, uh, the parents, and I've got a theory. And I'm like, no, you're not coming on this show with that shit. You can do it oh, on your no, own I podcast. Get you in trouble. No, 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 I'm not talking about you. No, no, I'm talking about others. People who are really into the McCanns. I want to come on, Richie, and I'm going to tell you. I'm like, you can do it on your own podcast. They can sue you. Yeah. But you're not doing it on mine because they are the most litigious people on planet Earth. And I don't have any proof that they did anything wrong. No, and, uh, true. There's no proof they did anything but wrong. But it is the strangest bloody story. It's strange. And it, it certainly bears talking about. That's hilarious, Sean. Look, the, the, uh, it's lighting up now. The message is coming in. <laughs> people who want to, uh, to have their say. But look... But yeah, one thousand five hundred. You your own research led you to one thousand five hundred for the average child, but thirteen million for Madeline over that time period. Bizarre. That's what that's what I saw. It was a lady called uh, Pat Brown, who's an FBI profiler, who makes her views very clear about this. Right. And she goes into. She's a bit scatty, but she she she's bang on the detail. And uh, that's her claim. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have any inside information. You would imagine, wouldn't you, that somebody in in the somebody in politics maybe would have asked for an inquiry into such an enormous expenditure? Has anybody ever asked the police in this country, in London, why did you spend so much money trying to find the whereabouts of one child? Has anybody ever? Approach them, Sean, to ask them to justify such a such an outlay of money. I don't know because it's a bloody good question, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I genuinely don't know. 
I don't often say this with you, but I, I no, don't you're, know. you're as bewildered as me. Yeah, absolutely. Normally, I blag it. Yeah. No, you <laughs> do on well. This occasion, I, I, I actually don't know because it's, it's such a tragic case, and I, I, I suspect I know what happened, and people who who are in the know know what happened, um, but you can't announce what you think happened without. You know, being without um, proof, yeah, litig- have proof, litigated yeah. again. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I did put a challenge out to my listeners about six, seven years ago. I said, if somebody comes to me privately with proof, I swear by my family, by Almighty God, if God exists, please, God, God does exist. I swore a blood oath if somebody presents me with irrefutable evidence that person X or person Y did it, I will go to air with it. Of course, I will and um, sod the begrudgers and take whatever comes your way. But nobody's ever presented yeah, me with any of them. you're a very brave journalist. There aren't many like you. No, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, do, do, is it your belief that some Fleet Street journalists have seen evidence that implicates somebody or somebodies and they're too scared to go with it? Do you think that's a possibility? I think, I think we know the police have. Maybe the police. Forget the journalists. I think there's a lot of police officers who know what what happened there, and it's quite straightforward what happened there. Um, but um, I'm not going to say anything on on your show. No, listen. I feel a bit stupid now because I'm I'm not a game player in terms of I don't um, speak out of both sides of my mouth. When I say I really haven't a clue, I genuinely haven't a clue. I know what the Portuguese detective believes about. Um, the night in question. I know what others have said, but I, I genuinely just wouldn't know what to believe, really. Apart from it is the most strange, bizarre, unusual case, and um, it was in, it it was kept alive for so long, and all of that money. These are questions I'd love to have the answers to, no doubt about that. Do you believe? All I'll say. Go on. All, all I'll say is that there is no evidence that she was abducted. That she was taken away. Right. There's no evidence that she was abducted. That's all I'll say. And that's the contention of the lead detective at the time. That's what he said. Do you believe as I believe, because I've seen and heard evidence of it, that high-profile paedophile rings are a reality in the UK in the 21st century? That, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. Definitely. But I'm not sure that she was a victim of that. No. I think there was something more quotidian, something more down-to-earth than that. Should we talk? I need to go soon. So do you? Yeah. Should we? Should we talk about something more cheerful? Yes, let's talk about something more. I'm just enjoying the chinwag. It's lovely and chilled on a Thursday afternoon. It's great. There's so much going on now. I mean, Madeleine McCann disappeared. I don't know what it is now. What is it now? 15, 16 years ago. Less, maybe a bit less. But you're right. There isn't anything we can, we can do about that. But if you can think of anything cheerful in this news cycle today, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a voucher. I'm going to give you a wine voucher for Morrison's, Sean. Not for Tesco, for Morrison's. I'm going to give you a if you can think of something cheerful. If you can think of something in the news cycle, that'll cheer me up because it's abysmal today. How much time have I got? <laughs> exactly. You've got exactly nine minutes from here, I reckon. What, are you playing comfortably numb or something? <laughs> I, that's what I put on, the Van Morrison version of it, which is a good song now. Oh, let's, no, I like Van let's Morrison. Agree let's Irishman. agree with that. Let's agree with that. Good Irishman. I, there's nothing really, there's no, there's no light anywhere at the moment. You know, I read that story this morning on the papers. 
you know, they've renamed this secret government department that's looking at everybody's social media posts, you know, to make it sound more benevolent than it actually is. The surveillance on you and me is going to increase and increase and increase. Um, what's happening in Gaza is terrible. Whatever anybody thinks about the, his- the, the, the historicity of the region, and I completely respect everybody's opinion. You'll know I've had Israelis on the programme talking about it. I've had people who, who would be Muslims on the programme talking about it. But the sheer scale of the, of the death and the, the, the destruction there, I defy anybody to say, you know, it's justified. There's no light anywhere, really, well, is you there? you and I don't quite agree about, about the, the historicity of that conflict. Yeah. With, with, but, but I agree with you that there are certain rules of engagement when it comes to war, and these are being violated. Yeah, no doubt. And, and so that's, that's my starting point. I, don't, um, I, I think it's just horrific. And a dead Palestinian child is worth as much as a, or a dead Israeli child. And it, it, I, I, that's the sort of thing that gets lost in a horrific conflict like this. And the thing that gets lost as well is there are Israelis, and I know them, and I see them on social media, and they feel totally lost. Because while they'll say, you know, um, when a Hamas operative kills an Israeli, or in the case of October 7th, killed lots of Israelis. That's a terrible thing. But we don't want our government doing this. We do not want our government bombing buildings and killing children. But they never get heard, those people. I don't mean by the Western media. They don't even get heard in their own country. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, um, I know that. I might be on a slightly ideological different side from you on this, but I think what's going on is probably absolutely horrific and does amount to war crimes. We've had... Um, on both sides, by the way. Yeah, yeah. We, no doubt. The, the, the journalist who came on with me said he would come back to talk about the history of the region because he's into it. And, and I've, I've, um, I'm not going to debate him on that because... Um, it would be better if I got somebody who uh, it was their it was their life study. So I'm going to ask Shlomo Zand to come on. So he's a very well known Israeli who has written books about the diaspora, and I'm going yeah. to ask him to come on for a good hour and have a good chat with Daniel Ben and me, where they can well, thrash you're, out. You're very good at you're very good at that because you invite people on you don't agree with, yeah, or don't necessarily agree with, yeah. Or, or, God be with the days, Sean. God be with the days when we could turn on telly and radio and expect... God be with the days... I love watching that Dick Cavett show with um, with um, Rivers of Blood, your man. Love it. Love that show. Um, the guy they said was a racist. What's his name? Oh, Jesus, Sean. The guy who did... Um, e- Enoch Powell. Enoch Powell. Yeah. Love that. He was a complicated character, though. Yeah, but I, I don't think he was... Uh, I don't think it's easy to, to dismiss Enoch Powell as a racist. When I watch Enoch Powell in those debates that he had on the Dick Cavett show, he came across to me as somebody who had a point of view, which was objectionable to some people, but he expressed it very well. And he said, look, it's going to have huge implications for people all over the country when you, you, you allow large groups of migrants come in. It'll affect public services. It'll affect their lives. I think he might have been proven to be right. And I'm a bloody uh, trade unionist. I'm a socialist. 
You know, we don't have this anymore. I keep lamenting this and I keep boring myself. We can't have chats with people we don't see eye to eye with, Sean. It's a real no, loss, isn't it? Yeah, you have to. You have to talk to people you don't agree with. Yeah. Otherwise, what's the point of talking? Did you ever see it happen? Did you ever see... I mean, you, university lecturer, did you ever see it coming when the student body would try to get a speaker banned from speaking rather than queue I, up I to have a go? I saw the way round. Um, the other way around, Richard, but Benedict McAllister, um, she came when I was at university, she came to give a talk, you know Bernadette McAllister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She came to give a talk to the Labour Club at Queen's in Belfast when I was an undergraduate. And it, it, the talk was packed out. And she was just speaking such absolute spanking nonsense. Um, she was quite nasty, actually, and it was in a science lab because that's the only way people could accommodate her. And she was speaking, and she had a cigarette. No problem with that, but she was striking her cigarette out into into the sinks next to the Bunsen burner, and that struck me as being a little bit rude. Idiotic, so, yeah. <laughs> so I know I know it sounds trivial. But I thought, oh no, I don't like you. <laughs> no, it's not trivial, but again, like, different time. Wouldn't be allowed now, wouldn't be, would, well, wouldn't be invited, or would be invited, and then would be cancelled. Cancelled, just yeah, in a Yeah, I just didn't like her. I just yeah. didn't like the cut of her jib. And, and then we had, um, well, I, I, I met Martin McGuinness once. Um, and... Let's pass that one over. No, 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 no. Let's not pass that one over because you would have, you would be fundamentally opposed to him. But no, no, I wouldn't because I, I know that you were a Sinn Fein supporter in 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 in, in early years, and I, I I probably would have been as well. Yeah. Uh, and and at that point, it's a book. Yeah, it was in a bookshop called the Bookworm in Derry. And I was stood next to him, and he started chatting to me, and he was perfectly charming. Yeah. But this guy was, um, and to be fair to Martin McGuinness, he was a hands-on terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> he killed people himself. He did it himself. Unlike yeah. Adams. He did it um, himself. But but again, go back. If he'd been invited to give a talk at a university, his opponents. Well, to that. Yeah, but his opponents wouldn't have tried to get it cancelled. Even him, even somebody associated... Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they wouldn't have. They would have said, right, well, I'd love to... Roll me sleeves up, I'm going to have a go at this fucker. You know, excuse my language. That's what they would have done. You know, I'm, I'm not saying now what I feel about Martin McGuinness. I don't particularly think he was a fucker. I think he was a man of his time. And he was a man of his circumstances and his environment. But look at that, look at that. Yeah. It's, we're, we're, we're pretty much bang up on time. Um, you were going to say something there, so finish that thought, Sean. And then we're just going to part company. No, it's it's been brilliant been, speaking it's, with it's, you. It's been, a, it's been a good conversation, hasn't it? It's been lovely. So, um, ho hopefully you'll have me back again. Of course. I've not disgraced myself. No, you haven't disgraced yourself at all. No, not this time, in any case. But uh, no, we'll have you back, pal. Um, mean, not this time. Not this time. <laughs> I'll, I'll put a link on the podcast to your Twitter account so people can give you a follow there. Always has something interesting to tweet to us, uh, Sean. And um, links uh, to where you can read him. More importantly, mate, have a great weekend and thanks for giving up some of your time today. I really enjoyed it.
So did I. You take care, mate. Thanks, Sean. Bye for now. Sean Walsh. Sean has worn many hats in his time. University lecturer, writer, speaker, philosopher. Chatting there about a few subjects. Love that. Thanks to him for that. Thanks again to uh, Dr. Ahmad Malik for coming on in the first hour as well. So wrapped up in that was I that I haven't even dragged out a track to close out with. But it gives me time while I'm doing that to remind you that I will be recording an episode of the papers tomorrow morning. That is tomorrow morning, uh, Friday. And, 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 and it gets better. Uh, Sunday morning melodies will go ahead this coming Sunday at 10 o'clock UK time. Sunday morning melodies is a programme where we play lovely, relaxed and chilled music and have a chat about how some of those songs came to be. Thanks for listening this week. I've enjoyed 4 to 6. It is set in stone now, 4 to 6, forevermore. And look, it didn't do any of us any harm. We're all still alive, right? Okay. Until next time, have a great weekend. Bye.